Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bits, Bytes, and Solutions, the podcast exploring the latest developments in technology. I'm your host, Julia Concolino. I am joined today by David Lopez. David Lopez is the Director of Education Strategy for ScreenBeam. So I would love to kind of learn a little bit more about your background. Um, what does your role look like in the education tech space? Hi, Julia. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I spent quite a while in the uh, instructional educational technology space. I uh, started my career in this side of things, uh, working in a classroom as a teacher um, on the technology side and teaching students um, how to use technology in their in their uh, K through 12 space. Um, worked a lot with students in computer labs and different uh, models around um, learning computer language and other things along those lines. And uh, then worked my way uh, into working at a district level uh, with a large district here in, in Tampa in uh, Hillsborough County um, and training teachers on the use of technology in the classroom. Um, it's always been something that has come natural to me. So technology and kind of using it and figuring things out has been part of, wasn't necessarily the where I started out with uh, my 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 degree, but it was something that has come really easy to me and uh, continued to work as many things have done uh, what, what I enjoy to be what I enjoy doing. Um, uh, after that, uh, working for the district in different ways has probably been about almost 20 years since I've started there. Um, I went to work for Microsoft uh, in the same 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 area in in working with teachers and training teachers in different parts of the of the United States as well as on a global level. Uh, did some work over in uh, Malaysia, in in Europe, and and Canada, Puerto Rico, and other places. Um, and uh, and again, that idea of how do you best use technology in the classroom and and utilize different tools. And had many opportunities, and then came to work for ScreenBeam as part of that. Uh, Part of that journey and at ScreenBeam uh, now our, our director of education strategy and kind of directing where we go with our products, uh, what we do um, in the education space in both K through 12 and higher ed, um, as well as I work with our enterprise teams, but really focusing on the education strategies that we do when it comes to utilizing technology in the classrooms and uh, making the most out of it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that background. I'm really excited for this conversation today. We are going to be discussing tech challenges in higher ed, different solutions and innovations. So I, I would love to get started just learning a little bit more about what some of the most common challenges educators face are in this space. And, you know, when it comes to integrating technology into their teaching methods, what are you seeing most frequently? Well, many times uh, in the higher ed space, it's something that is technology is not necessarily the focus unless it is a technology class. So the challenge, I think, for a lot of instructors in higher ed is taking what's been given to them and trying to integrate it if they haven't had, uh, especially if they haven't had a lot of training or uh, professional development, rather, on how to utilize those the technology in their classrooms. Um, and what I feel specifically with is that instructional space um, in the teacher, how they're utilizing their laptop or their um, their tablet devices. What does that room space look like? Um, what is their uh, what is their ability to to walk into the room, connect to the devices or the screens in the room, 
and and utilize them in the best instructional way. And part of the challenge is that there is not necessarily a lot of time always spent on those tools that they have, and rightfully so necessarily because they are there to impart information, impart their knowledge, impart their learning and their understanding of a specific topic. And so that technology piece of it comes in as kind of a personal decision a lot of times on how they're going to use it. And you have a wide range of of, uh, of users of technology in higher ed where you have some that don't like to use it at all, uh, but some that also that use it every day and have to use that use it uh, because it's part of their DNA. Um, but one of the things that has come along recently in the last couple several years is that with COVID and those other things that that happened a few years ago, uh, many teachers have been forced to use it because it's like mm-hmm. there's no other thing they they can do because there's that online component and all the things that come along with it. So it presented a lot of issues for a lot of educators uh, to have to learn it regardless of whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And and how did you approach kind of bridging that gap for maybe those educators that didn't have the experience in that space? Well, you know, my role is is uh, part of that is kind of evaluating that and seeing what we can do to facilitate those um, those environments and make them easier for uh, all instructors. So, you know, we don't have necessarily an approach that that covers all those things, um, but it is more of about standing back and looking at how we try to make it easier. Um, and the instructors that are hesitant um, and are resistant to adopting technology um, to be honest, a lot of times it is a personal choice, mm-hmm. but our goal is to really make it make the technology get out of the way. And that's part of what should happen in a lot of places is that the technology is not getting in the way of their instruction. And that's really, I think, a good philosophy um, for any audiovisual and any technology technology setup in a classroom, whether it's higher ed or K through 12, that the technology doesn't get in the way. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and and what do you do to address that that resistance that you know might come from educators? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's really about trying to make it easy. Um, I think I if I had to do and I do some consulting as well. Um, when I do that on that side of things, I always recommend that they spend uh, some time and money and effort on professional development and professional training. Um, to make sure that those instructors have access to that information and that they can um, uh, they can in, embrace it as easy as possible. And so I think professional development is a big part of that hesitant hesitation and trying mm-hmm. to overcome that and trying to provide as much of that as it can, whether it be personal stuff like one-on-one or videos and content that the professors uh, and instructors can watch and and uh, and rely upon. Right, right. Okay. And do you have any specific strategies or programs that you recommend uh, for providing effective professional development? Or, you know, is it kind of on a case-by-case basis? Uh, A lot of times it is a case-by-case basis, but there are many uh, tools out there. Um, I think my philosophy, uh, I guess maybe you might hear this a couple times during this uh, this podcast <laughs> is is to try and show that you use what you have. And mm-hmm. so looking at the tools that have been given to you first and trying to 
you those use those to the best of your ability. So my strategy with a lot of people, as I say, you know, there is there's going to be a lot of things that are thrown at you um, when it comes to utilizing the instructional technology. My strategy is always find something that you can you can focus on that you can do really well, get that under your belt, right? And focus on that and get really good at it. And then you can move on to something else. Otherwise you get overwhelmed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's easy to get overwhelmed. <laughs> so yes. focus on one particular <laughs> thing, right? Focus on one particular thing, get good at that, and then add something else to your tool belt. Um, and that makes it a lot easier to kind of chunk that out. And that's an instructional principle that we talk about with the students as well, right? Uh, chunking out information, chunking out a problem, say, okay, I'm going to take care of this part first, then I'll work on the next part, and then I'll work on the next part. And so that's a good strategy, I think, for uh, people who might be struggling with that. Absolutely. And, and once, you know, they have kind of understood how to integrate the technology and have the tools and feel comfortable with them, how would you recommend educators might strike a balance between traditional teaching methods and integrating that technology in order to create the most effective learning environment? Well, that's a good question. Um, one of the challenges that, uh, not one of the challenges necessarily, but one of the, uh, especially in higher ed, um, one of the directives that most higher ed institutions face right now is this integration of the online content and instruct and physical uh, space uh, where even if you have a physical classroom there's always some component that has that is available to the students online um, whether it be uh, just putting your assignments online or whether it be actually having online discussions um, your syllabuses uh, or syllabi if you will um, those kind of things uh, that's pretty common uh, in most higher ed institutions right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing I recommend is really evaluating if you're not, if you're, if you're against using those tools or if they're difficult, uh-huh. really look at the value that that brings to you on the long term, because there is a significant amount of value because instead of, um, instead of always having everything in person, it allows you to place content, resources, things that students might normally come to you, um, you know, on a regular basis and get it over and over and over again. If you can place all that content in that online space, which you've been given, there is a significant amount of time you get back. So my strategy really would be to say, look, look at the time that this online content can save you and really look at it. and then evaluate how much time you want to spend doing that so that, yes, up front, it might take you more time to set it up, but in the long run, you're going to get that back. Um, so the traditional teaching methods, which didn't necessarily include that online component, um, now they do. And so now I have to figure out how to make that better. And that's a good strategy to think about how much time do I want back based on what that's going to give me. And it, yes, again, it's going to take a little bit more work. but I'm going to benefit from it in the long run. Absolutely. I I recall, so I graduated uh, in the COVID year from college. Mm. So uh, that was my senior year of undergrad. And and I remember, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's one of those things. It's a blessing and a curse at the same time. But I remember a lot of the professors were, you know, not prepared for that because no one really understood, you know, how hard we were going to get hit with it. 
And um, as a student, you know, when when teachers started putting their lectures online and those became readily available, I will say I really enjoyed being able to access the lectures at any given time. Um, You know, taking notes in person is obviously great and it's nice to have that in-person experience, but having everything at your fingertips at any given moment I think that changed the education space quite a bit um, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, how certain students may may prefer online courses to going in person and finding, you know, finding what works best for you in that space. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was just, you know, my own finding was I really liked having access to the lectures and the resources at any given time because the classes were being recorded in advance. Yeah, it, it did make a huge difference for a lot of people. Um and it, it did provide kind of a a jump start to uh, to the whole world of of education that wasn't up to speed with that stuff yet, and mm-hmm. kind of forced everybody into that realm, um, which was one of if you could say there was good things about COVID, that would be maybe one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but from our perspective, from what we do at Screenbeam and some of the things that we do, we also deal a lot with that physical environment really right and so again um in that physical space it's about me being comfortable it's about me being what i call agile in the classroom Mm -hmm. um and if the teacher nowadays especially with the lack of attention span of a lot of students (laughs) if i'm really trying to be a good instructor and trying to get give value to my students about my job and who i am um i need to find ways to teach in that moment to not always be stuck in the front of the room because again you by the time you're uh the the class by the time many students even get to class nowadays many of them are coming to class with hearing loss so you got to have also you know because people have earbuds stuck in their ears all the time Mm -hmm. so you you have this uh, need to um to figure out either voice amplification systems that have to be in the classroom which help which help a lot right but also that ability to go out and move amongst your students and talk and be in that teaching, what I call teaching in the power zone, where I can uh, be flexible with how I am in the classroom itself. So it's not just about the technology and the tools. It's also about the physical space that you're trying to create in the classroom environment. And that can also help uh, teachers. But you have to be mindful of that when schools are thinking about how do I build my classes? How do I make them more comfortable? Um, how do I make them more friendly to instruction. That's really interesting. And, you know, something that that just made me think of is, you know, there's, I'm sure, so many different ways that you can um, modify technology use in order to make it accessible to students who, you know, might have different impairments. And that might have been something, you know, when COVID first hit and everyone was transitioning that maybe wasn't thought about, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if there are deaf students who are used to being able to read lips or, mm. um, you know, just oh, any yeah. other situation, it's, you know, it is very important to take those things into consideration. But I think, you know, when everything was thrown at, you know, everyone at once and everything had to be adapted immediately, that that might have taken the back burner. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that def- That definitely was something that people had to catch up with. But in in uh, in some ways, also on the flip side of that is um, some of those other programs that dealt with uh, uh, hearing disabilities and 
uh, and things like that. They are they already had technology that was there, but it wasn't mm. necessarily being used by everybody. So some of that did also get pushed forward in the instructional space, which is again one of those um, one of those benefits. Yeah, <laughs> of, yeah, it's uh, a good of, thing of that COVID. came out of it. So, yeah, <laughs> and I think there's something like hearing loss just in general uh, among students. Uh, nearly 15% of school age children are experiencing hearing loss coming oh, into wow. school and not talking about, and that's just K through 12. I think even uh, when you, obviously that's not going to grow back. Hearing doesn't grow back, you know, so right. you, you, you're starting to see more of that as you go. And so we do have to be thinking about those kind of things as instructors. Um, I'm standing in the front of the room. It's my student actually hearing everything I'm saying, or are they only catching, you know, 50% of what I'm saying? Because I'm always in the same place in the front of the classroom. How do That's I mitigate really those point. things? So, yeah. 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 Huh. yeah These are things that I, you know, haven't really given much thought to just, you know, being that I'm not in that space as a student anymore. So, yeah. so yeah. you know, it, it's definitely, it, it's interesting to hear and I can, I can see the importance of, of, you know, changing where you are in the room for amplification purposes and things like that, but just something I'd never even considered. Very cool. Well, I would love to hear, you know, kind of your thoughts on data privacy, you know, when with the increasing use of technology being used in education, do teachers ever have concerns related to data privacy and security or do students or, you know, do even parents bring up concerns when it comes to uh, data privacy uh, with the use of so much technology now in the education space? Oh, uh, definitely. I mean, um, it's uh, it's a very difficult uh, you know place to navigate when it comes to keeping your information uh, private. Um, you do see obviously a lot more breaches and attacks. I think we a lot of schools and educational institutions see that um, on a much more regular basis now because of the amount of data that's that they're collecting, um, and because it's uh, you know certainly something that people might want to use for nefarious purposes. Um, so uh, I think a lot of that you, when it comes to mitigating some of those things, you know, a lot of times security comes down to the human element, and mm -hmm. that's very hard to uh, to to fix. Uh, you can to regulate. Apply, and <laughs> yeah, you can apply all the you know all the firewalls and you know multi-factor authentication and things like that that you want to. Uh, which have helped, I think, but um, the human element is, you know, in the, what, what they call it, uh, you know, social engineering that people use to, to break those, uh, mm -hmm. those things is uh, very real and it's just getting, you know, it's getting worse and worse. Um, so yeah, educators, uh, I think teachers have to be concerned about those things. Um, and it's about from an educational in institutional side of things, it is about, again, uh, training. It's about passing information along, making sure they stay up to date and people are understanding that. And with students, I think students tend to be more loose with their information. And that's also something that um, they should be aware of, made aware mm -hmm. of by their educational institutions about what the consequences are of being very loose with your information and your data and and those things for things like TikTok and Timu and yep, yep. all those Just things have giving a, data okay. away, <laughs> but yeah. that's a whole other thing that I could, yeah. Why are these products I could have so a whole nother podcast episode. On. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why are these products so cheap? Well, they're selling your information. So because <laughs> it's, yeah, you're giving everything to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Oh gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's something, you know, I, I see it on Facebook all the time, people talking about those kinds of things. And I just think to myself, man, ah, what are you doing? But Mm. you know, you can't, you can't stop everybody. (laughs) No, no, you can't. (laughs) So are there any specific emerging technologies that you believe have the potential to significantly impact higher education in the future? You know, um, the first thing that comes to, to mind for me is AI, you know, are students using AI, you know, to, to write their papers or, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing? Or are there any other technologies that come to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, everybody's going to talk about AI and this kind of question. Um, you know, the generative generative AI that's, you know, we know is things like uh, you know, Bard and ChatGPT and and all those things that um, that use those models, those learning models to 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 generate papers and all sorts of things. Um, and I think that is going to have an impact um, on on the and it already is. Obviously, there's there's mm-hmm. not, no question about it. It's already had an impact. Um, how it's used is obviously, you know one of those biggest questions and some teachers i think many teachers will shy away from it but i think there's just as much noise um to teachers who are saying no we have to use it we have to do it it's very important that we teach our students how to use it and i think that's for the most part very true Mm -hmm. um for me it's about the word the big word is the d word is discernment right i have to discern Mm -hmm. um what is the right application i have to discern whether or not it's things are real and find the tools that help me with that. And that's it's part of the the model that I think many universities have to approach is, okay, if we assume it's been use, um, how do I discern, you know, what we do about it from a grading standpoint, what, I, what we do about from a, um, you know, from a accountability standpoint, and then how do you, if there's models that are different when it comes to grading and things like that, that's a whole, mm-hmm. you know, separate conversation. <laughs> that's yes. hard to, you know, it's hard to encapsulate in one question. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest things uh, that's obviously out there. Um, I, if I would point to something else, that's not the, the, the typical generative AI or typical AI conversation. Um, you know, it, it's, it's about, probably about the amount of technology like hardware that students carry around with them and how we leverage that right because yeah you know uh how 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 are you leveraging that as an instructional institution um you know the fact that the cell phone that we carry around today is more computing power than launched the first space shuttle that was in the first space shuttle right so wow, I mean, that yeah, that's yeah. a you know it's a true statement since years ago right so now mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know okay, so if I carry around all that with me, um, how can I leverage that? And I can do things like, you know, when it comes to assessments, uh, gaining information from my students, um, allowing them to get feedback in class, live feedback, other things like that. There's lots of power in the hands, uh, you know, they carry around with them. So how do I leverage that um, and make that part of my instruction and and let students utilize that because they use it every day anyway. So figuring out yeah. those kind of things is important. Do you ever, you know, 
run into this and I'm sure it's less common now than it was when I was back in you know middle or high school but um, you know when teachers are incorporating more technology and say they do an online survey like go to this website and answer this question or text mm -hmm. this number and answer the question and you know mm -hmm. they use that as a technology tool um, how do you approach that in the case where maybe a student doesn't have that hardware yeah so it's, it's one of those things you have to think about um, you see that more so in I think in uh, in K through 12 mm -hmm. um, and there's ways around that by providing you know tools that the district provides things like that uh, higher ed institutions many of them have programs that accommodate um, for that I don't know if they go so far as providing cell phones but I know that many higher institutions will provide you know, hard tech, you know, laptops and tablets and things like that for students who um, are are needing some some support in okay. in getting those and using those. Uh, so that can be that's that's definitely a way that people are mitigating that. Um, yeah, so that's great. That's good to know. Uh, one thing that I I just I, just thinking about it. I know we talked about it very very briefly, but um, you know, when I was a student. AI, you know, was, I'm sh sure it was around, but it wasn't easily yeah. accessible. Um, yeah. And just thinking about Not how I would have used it as a student, you know, you know, I wouldn't have had it write my papers, but it probably would have helped me come up with topics for papers much more easily. Um, <laughs> or, you know, thesis statements or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't want to say AI is terrible because it's not. It's it's a great tool and it's a great resource, but it's just, you know, where's that line of using it versus abusing it, you know, in, in the education space in particular? Yeah, uh, you know, there can be harm done by it. I think uh, much of that harm comes from assumptions that it is correct, right? So mm -hmm. your assumption that what you, when you put in a prompt and put in some information that you're getting, you know, correct information. And there's been many things that have happened recently. I've shown that there's easy ways to just get, it just makes things up, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. it just makes things completely out of thin air. And so, yeah. um, and so that is, uh, one of those major pitfalls that that can happen um, and and really miss or even harmful content, right? So uh, there there's there are rules in place. I think there's certainly some policymakers that have tried to apply, you know, uh, global or national policies around what you know what kind of things you can do to curb that type of misinformation. Um, or false information, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think students being able to use it to to prompt is really good, right? To prompt, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm having trouble formulating a couple of ideas about things. How do I do that? And then, you know, kind of learning how to ask those questions. Um, and there are a lot of resources for students right now that they can go in and say, hey, this is how I would do that better. I think I know Microsoft has programs around those. Google has programs around that that are free free courses that help students and teachers. And I think that I would definitely encourage students and teachers to take those, you know, free courses to just grasp that a little better. And then then you're not just going into it as if you're just using a regular search engine because it's really, even though it's very, very much related to that, it's not the same thing. And mm -hmm. so um, understanding how to do that better is is very important. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. 
Awesome. Um, well, I would love to transition into a different area of questioning. Um, are there any collaboration or communication tools that you find to be effective when facilitating interaction and engagement among students and educators? Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, quizzing and polling tools that tend to be on the fly and yeah, yeah. Um, even, you know, within things that people are used to using like PowerPoint and other tools that are more common, there's plenty of plugins and resources that are available that exist within those uh, more common programs. So I think exploring those uh, that are more embedded into familiar tools is really important and easy for teachers to transition into those things. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, for, for selfishly, when I look at that collaboration space um, that in the physical world, I think obviously what part of what we do is provide a way for uh, what we do called, I call it equity of connectivity, right? I can walk into any room to any screen and just wirelessly connect to a screen to share information, um, whether it be in a classroom or a conference room or a a huddle room where I sit down with a couple of people and I can just share content to the screen to be able to, you know, display what I've been working on and also see what others have been share or want to be able to share. Mm -hmm. um, so those kind of environments where it's not limiting you by if you don't have the right cable or the right dongle or, you, you know, you don't know how to connect those kind of things. I think setting up those spaces in that physical world is important. Um, but again, that's that's more of the instructional space. I think obviously the more higher ed institutions provide access to, uh, like I said earlier, law online resources and collaboration tools that way is also really important. So that when I post information here about this class, everybody has access to it. And when mm -hmm. the student responds, everybody has access to it. And that's really become a lot more common. So those kind of collaboration communication tools um, really help students uh, the video content that's being provided and being more static, uh, not static, but more uh, readily available yeah, is also yeah. super important. Like you said earlier, having able to go back to a lecture or go back to uh, something that somebody said a few weeks ago, and I'm trying to relearn that or, re, you know, understand my assessment of that. Uh, those things are important. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, how do you think technology can be leveraged to support personalized learning experience for students in higher education? I know we've kind of touched on various aspects throughout this, but do you have any, you know, specific thoughts on that? Um, personalized learning is um, it's one of those things that uh, is is more. I'm trying to think of the best way to to put it. Um, when I'm providing uh, resources uh, for students, um, I can't, most teachers, obviously, especially in higher ed, they can't give that personalized learning model with where it becomes, you know, uh, I'm focusing on specifically what your needs are in my class, just because the scale and scope of most university classes and higher institutions mm -hmm. are not are not that way. So where it comes into um, where it comes into play, though, I think a lot of that does come in through uh, AI resources and then online resources that I'm providing to to students. Um, 
let's say, for example, something like, even though it's not necessarily as much on the higher ed level, but there's plenty of things out there like it, like Khan Academy, where I have all these range of topics uh, of instruction that I want to be able to, that I, that I have access to. If I, as an institution, can provide a library of sources or things like that, let's say somebody's having trouble or struggling with a particular subject in my class, having access to that library of, of resources and saying, hey, you know, I can't provide it with you, provide it to you, you know, individually myself, but here's a vetted list of things that, you know, I know are good resources. Those kind of things are more common and and giving students access to those and making sure they know uh, that those are available to them and, you know, and usable mm-hmm. um, is, is, is really important. I think um, it does make it a challenge uh, for students, but that's, you're paying for the school, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you have to, uh, we, we can't equate that necessarily with, with K through 12 because the student has a vested interest in doing that. They're paying money or they're, you know, doing that. So we have to treat it a little bit different. But. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So another thing that we talked about earlier was, you know, and in regards to AI is, you know, how can they discern um, what what's from AI and what's not and, you know, being able to make those differentiations. Um, another thought that comes to mind is, you know, technology obviously can help with the feedback and assessment processes. I, you know, remember turning in papers to turnitin.com and it, mm-hmm. it shows like plagiarism trackers and things like that. Are there any mm-hmm. other tools or approaches that you've seen succeed when it comes to providing feedback and assessments? Um, peer review is is sometimes good. I think that's one of the things that's often utilized in, in online courses where your peers uh, take a look at, you know, your submissions and give feedback to you. So that's that's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe a different vehicle through, you know, learning management systems that you have access to to do that now. Uh, but that's pretty common. I think, yeah, the tools that you mentioned, like Turnitin and there's many, like Grammarly. I know a lot of people um, mm-hmm. are utilizing that that tool, Grammarly, right now to um, to help, you know, hone uh, stuff that normally would take you know, a long time for somebody else to do that. Mm-hmm. Grammarly, I know tools like that are now working on the fly while you're typing, while you're, you know, while you're writing, um, which I think those can be certainly really helpful. Um, and those, I think, is a type of AI that, and that's more of that machine learning side of AI mm-hmm. versus generative generative AI. Yeah. Um, those type of tools certainly are very valuable and can be useful. Um, and I would say that that type of uh, assessment is is a way for a teacher um, and the tools that are even built into to Word and, and other things like that, where they can look at a paper and say, oh, this is, um, you know, there's some, some issues with it or do that. But in reality, um, sometimes assessment is also uh, a much different view of things. You know, a mastery of a subject isn't always you know, can I write a paper about it, right? So mm-hmm. there's many different ways that are not technology-based that um, that uh, students and teachers have to interact. Um, and we all have to find different ways to do that depending on what the subject is, so. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense for sure. Okay, um, so thinking about, you know, education 
and infrastructure as a whole. Um, I'm, I'm sure that many educational institutions face infrastructure challenges when it comes to, you know, adopting different technology. How yeah. would you recommend overcoming these challenges or working with these challenges in order to ensure the adoption of technology in higher ed? Um, I think uh, some of that some of that comes from uh, looking at your peers, looking at what's been successful, trying to evaluate that based on other institutions and where they've been successful. Um, I think that does help um, and finding your peers in that from an instructional from a technology side of side of things um, because I've learned from being on the outside in that I can go from one part of the country working with a particular institution and then going, uh, you know, to another part of the country and working with another institution of similar, you know, size and, and population and things like that and see where one person has been very successful and the other person says, well, I never even knew about that, right? I never mm-hmm. understood that that was available um, or didn't know that those were things were you know, something that somebody's used. So finding um, like-minded individuals is important and finding those. Uh, there's a great group in higher ed called HETMA. It's the Higher Ed Technology Managers Association. And um, that is a group that was started by higher ed technology managers. And they have grown to the point where there's a, a nice size, uh, you know, grouping of peers that ask each other questions. Say, hey, I'm having trouble with this particular setup in my classrooms, or we're looking for a tool to do this, or we're looking for a tool to do that. And how, you know, what have you all used? And then asking questions of manufacturers and asking questions of others and providing resources and finding resources like that. And that that also, that's an online resource, but there's also physical, you know, conferences and shows that you might go to to help um, get a better understanding of you know, where your strengths are, where your deficiencies are, you just can't operate in a bubble, right? Mm -hmm. You just get yourself, uh, you end up falling behind the times or um, you end up blaming people that doesn't really necessary to blame. There's just, you know, you just didn't know and you didn't Mm -hmm. find out. So you have to, you have to reach out and do that. Okay, definitely. That makes sense. So I just have a few more questions before we wrap it up here. Mm -hmm. How do you see the integration of technology in higher ed differing across global contexts? And, you know, are there lessons that can be learned from diverse approaches? I know you were just talking about, you know, obviously just geographically, you know, there mm-hmm. there are many differences that you can find. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, on a global level, uh, this is very cursory, but I think what tends to happen, I think, in other countries that uh, different than the United States, I think. Um, it's not always the case, but one of the things I have seen is that um, we might learn lessons from is a lot of times there's uh, from a very young age in education in many countries, uh, kids are are taught to find a very specific focus early on and you, they might give them some choices early on, but once they gravitate towards a certain subject matter, um, that's what they do, and that's their key focus. And some of the other, uh, you know, subject matter might fall off to the side, but they are very laser focused on a particular thing, like you know, chemical engineering or you know, uh, you know, architecture or something like that. It's very laser focused in their instructional path, 
and many things is not as you know diverse, but it does give them a very uh, very powerful you know laser focused strength. So I think that tends to happen a lot more in other countries where you see that um, in in instruction. Uh, the technology side of things then becomes um, very secondary and mm-hmm. uh, and it becomes more about the content. And I think that's something we can certainly um, make sure that that's we don't lose that uh, if we're trying to integrate all this technology and things like that. But we right. lose focus on what the real content is um, that can happen. And I've seen that happen here where people spend a lot of money on, you know, building out these really fancy rooms and resources and things like that, but nobody really uses them because it's too hard. It's, it's, it becomes too complex. They need a whole teacher's assistant just to run the room and to do those things. Really that it shouldn't be that way. It should be easy to use your, your instructional technology should be easy to use. It should get out of the way and it should let them focus on the content and let them focus on what they need to be able to do and just because you have a lot of bells and whistles in an instructional space doesn't make it better, um, especially if it's getting in the way of the focus of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And how do you see the integration, um, you know, potentially, I guess, how do you measure it? Um, and and mm-hmm. what key indicators or metrics should educators pay attention to? when they're trying to measure the impact of, of tech integration? Um, I don't know any specific indicators um, that, that are measurable, I would say, and that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's, there are metrics that uh, we can provide, especially specifically speaking to what we do from the audiovisual standpoint of who's using, who's using it, who's not using it, um, and there are there are definitely ways built into a lot of different technology tools. Um, uh, and the way to really do that is to see, OK, is there a difference between the rooms where teachers are really making good use of the technology and the instructional stuff that they're trying to do? And is there a correlation between that and the success of what the students are doing? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the easiest way to do it. Um, and. I think educators may not necessarily pay attention to that as much as your IT administrators, your those folks that are making the decisions about what goes into a room and what the instructional spaces look like. Um, we've seen that in our business and in, in, in a lot of times replacing old technology, you do see that, okay, once I've replaced that, now I'm actually seeing people start to use more of our tools that they have and then that in turn can affect how students you know perform in that class because they're listening differently they're listening better they're seeing things more than they did before or they're getting more examples put in front of them uh things along those lines i think there certainly can be some correlation but it does take someone focusing on that specifically to know what that is right right yeah definitely and it you know just if you're looking purely at, okay, like let, let's, let's take COVID for example, you know where teachers had to completely switch to online instruction. Did mm-hmm. grades get worse? Did they get better? You know, and right, right. That's that's an easy indicator, but not necessarily the best indicator because again, it depends on the tech integration level of the teacher and of the student receiving the information. So that yeah, that's, you know, 
yeah. it's hard to measure those insights. So, <laughs> well, and, and I said, you know, I, I wrote a, uh, a little paper internally that discussed that we were trying to decide, do we go all in with our tools and really just go all in with everything online and focus the tools that we do. But I know from experience and just not only personal, but just knowing students that not everybody can perform well in an online class. Mm -hmm. Some people excel in those spaces and they do really well, but many people and many others do not. They just can't function that way. So I, I kind of knew in the beginning that it wasn't going to last and either people were going to get burnt out, which many teachers did mm-hmm. and many students did, right? They got burnt out. Teachers left the profession. Students yep. left yep. public schools and they said, we're homeschooling now and that's all we're going to do for the time being. And they just got rid of it all because you can't say that online learning can completely replace everything. So that is a big, that was a big deal early on. You did see drop-offs. You did see performance loss. You did see students learning start to dive um, because a good percentage of students just, it's not good for them. It doesn't work for them. And trying to get a, a, you know, second grader to stay online all day is just ridiculous. Oh gosh, yeah. (laughs) That's like, that's like asking them to stay still. They can't. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that's certainly something that you can look at. So I think it's it's definitely tech integration. It's probably, this is just an assumption, but it's probably more successful when it's not forced upon mm-hmm. yeah, a population of students. Oh, I definitely, I, I definitely agree. I think there's, there's a, a good, that's a good way to put it. Oh man. Well, we're almost, we're almost through these questions. Okay. Um, I, I'm just getting so much nostalgia. This just thinking back to, to my days as a student. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, my, my final question, you know, do you have any advice for educators looking to navigate this evolving landscape of, of new tech and just tech innovation in general within the higher education space? Yeah, uh, it goes back. I think I kind of mentioned this earlier on. My my mantra is if you, it, it goes like this, if you want more technology in your classroom, you need to show that you use what you already have. Um, and that's, I think that it works for everybody, right? So if I have access to a certain number of tools and I'm using those, I need to show myself that I'm really good at using those tools. I have, let's just start with, you know, I have a laptop and it has, you know, office tools on it, right? If I want to do more, I need to show that I'm actually using the things that I already have. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to add more to that space. And this should be the case for those who are planning those things, right? The planning out what my teachers are doing, uh, what am I providing for my teachers? I need to be able to evaluate uh, my instructors in a way that says, look, are they, I'm giving them all these tools that they have in their hands already, um, before I just make a leap forward and say, okay, we're going to revamp and do all these things in these rooms from an instructional and audiovisual standpoint, are they actually using the things that they do have right now? Right. And that's right. really kind of a, a good piece of, I think it's, it, it works across the board, um, that you have to use the tools that you have before you can add more. Um, otherwise you just get this, you know, kind of a, a, a pile up of, of things that, you know, <laughs> that you're not, you're not, you just don't get the good use out of anything. Um, and so you end up just doing piecemeal things here and there, but you're really not getting what you should out of it. So 
Right. That that definitely makes sense. And I can almost see it, you know, comparing it to maybe not in the tech space, like someone really, really, really wants something, but they're not using the the whatever substitute they have for it right now. Mm-hmm. And so they get that tech or whatever it might be. They use it mm-hmm. for a week and then they stop yeah. using it because they weren't already using the similar substitute or whatever it might be it's you know they they might want newer technology but if they're not using their current technology there's a lower chance of adoption taking place absolutely absolutely and it it just ends up being a a little bit can can be a little bit of a train wreck but the the problem (laughs) is when you when you scale that out you're not just talking about one teacher you're talking about one instructor you're talking about hundreds of instructors thousands of instructors um if that's, uh, you know, that that's where it really becomes an issue, because then you're just not you're not getting the most uh, return, the best return on your investment. Um, you're you're then buying things that people uh, aren't going to use. or You're putting things in that people aren't going to use. You're just saying, well, you know, is the tail wagging the dog? Right. And that's what mm-hmm. happens sometimes, you know, is that or or is it that the other way around? You have to figure that out. So figuring those things out first before you start implementing things is really important that is key yeah yeah well well thank you so so much for for sharing all of these insights um do you have any final thoughts or anything you want me to chew on before i let you go (laughs) (laughs) um no i I don't think so i think uh like i said that's i think that's a good way to to put it and i think it's something that served me well over the years um is that and then i think there's the other, the only other thing that I, I talk a lot about is um, is is making the I, I use the term making the simple super. I think there's a lot of ways that you can take simple things that you do with the technologies you have and make them really really good. With what we do on, on ScreenBeam is is we I think we do make uh, you know we give something like the teacher device that's a tablet or that's a two in one device and and allow if you use it the right way, you can turn that device into something that's more of an instructional tool than just just a laptop, right? So, especially in that instructional environment where I'm using technology, um, don't lose sight of the, the the tools that you have in your hands and how you can make even the simple things really not really powerful. Um, you know, we have two-in-one laptops that have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I rarely see people actually use them as two-in-one devices in the classroom. Well, you know, why not? You know, I can I can yeah. turn over a, a tablet device, take out a stylus, and now I've got a walking digital whiteboard that I can walk around with if I have the right setup in the room. But am I really doing that? Do I have, am I using those tools? So finding those simple things that are already there, making them super and benefiting yourself and your students. So that's an interesting point. Thank you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, this has been such a pleasure speaking with you today, David. Um, I, you know, will definitely let you know if we want to talk about more AI in the classroom for our next episode. So thank you so much for for jumping on the show today. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Julia. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. And see you next time on Bits, Bytes, and Solutions. (music) Thank <music> you.